Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The only thing that can break Satan's power over a person's life is that greater power of the gospel. So Satan has greater power than any any human being has or any group of human beings. So in other words, I can't just through my own efforts, I can't break myself free from Satan's grip over my life. I can't do that. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Acts, chapter 26, verse 18, in a message titled, The Purpose, Promise, and Power of the Gospel. Now, here's Pastor Brian. As we carry on and as we're getting really toward the end of our study here in Acts, we want to look specifically today at the words that that Paul spoke there to King Agrippa. And in one sentence, uh, he expresses the purpose, promise, and power of the gospel. And that one sentence is found in verse 18. And so he said there, quoting Jesus, that he would deliver him from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So in that one sentence, we see the power, the promise, and, or the the purpose, the power, and uh, the promise of the gospel. And so that's what I want to do. I want to look at each of those points, beginning with the purpose. So the purpose, uh, Jesus said, is to open their eyes. That's where it starts. The Bible teaches that we by nature, every human being, our, our natural condition is that we are blind spiritually. We are blind. We, we don't see things as they really are. You know, we, we don't recognize that there is a spiritual world that coexists with our material world. We're, we're blind to that reality. And so in order for us to come to Christ, our eyes have to be opened And that's the first thing that Jesus said to Paul, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. Now, this is the second thing that we quite often don't recognize. But outside of Christ, we're we're in darkness. We're in darkness spiritually. We're in darkness morally. And again, the darkness is contrasted with the light of, of who God is and what God's will is and his ways and so forth. And so we live in that darkness, but that's all connected to being under, the third thing here is that we are under the power and the dominion of Satan. And so this this is the natural condition of humanity. And if you are not a Christian today, this is a description of your present situation. 
blind to the things of the spirit in darkness and under the dominion of Satan. That's a reality. Every person is either there presently or was there prior to their receiving the deliverance that comes through Christ. Now, Paul, who received the commissioning, you know, later on, as he would write letters back to the various churches that were established, as he was teaching them, he would say things that echo the very mission that Jesus gave him. And I want to give you a couple of examples. In writing to the Corinthians, Paul wrote two letters to the Corinthians. In the second letter to the Corinthians, he said this. He said, the God of this age, and that's a reference to Satan, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So here we see that, that connection. Paul's echoing again what Jesus said to him. The God of this age has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And then in writing to the Ephesians in the second chapter of the letter to the Ephesians in the second and third verse, Paul says to them, he says, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. So again, echoing what Jesus said to him, walking according to the course of this world. The course of this world are the fads, the fashions, the trends, the philosophies, all of those things that, that dominate the world. Paul says that these are, the course of this world is being directed or dictated by the prince of the power of the air. And that, that's another reference to Satan. So he's referred to in writing to the Corinthians as the God of this age. And what that tells us is that he is the one who's presently in control of the world. Now, if you understand that, if you have that as your worldview, then the world, the, in the condition it is, it makes sense. Well, of course the world's going to be messed up. The devil is the one who's running the show. And that, that's the explanation for why things are the way they are. But then he's also referred to as the prince of the power of the air. And like I said, he's the one who influences, his, his influence goes out. You know, like the, we have radio waves and things like that that go out through the airwaves. And you can, if you have the right, you know, receptor, you can tune into all of that and, you know, Wi-Fi and all of that stuff. All of these things are out there in the air. Well, Satan is behind all of that scene putting out his ideas. And of, and of course, you know, quite often he's putting them out through influencing people. And he's influencing the people that have influence, and then they are able to promote and to spread his ideas throughout the world. But that this is the condition that the world is in, and this is the condition that every single person is in until they are liberated from that by Christ. Now, now just a quick diversion here for, for a moment and to just talk a little bit more about Satan. Um, 
So the God of this age, the, the prince of the power of the air, he's referred to as uh, the evil one. Uh, he's referred to in the book of Revelation as the destroyer. Jesus said that he is a murderer and a liar. Satan means the adversary. The devil, that word devil means slanderer. And so all of those descriptions are, are really just, that's who he is. And he, of course, as the murderer, as the liar, as the destroyer, he uses deception to, to ultimately try to destroy people's lives. And the only, the only thing that can break Satan's power over a person's life is that greater power of the gospel. So Satan has greater power than any, any human being has or any group of human beings. So in other words, I can't just through my own efforts, I can't break myself free from Satan's grip over my life. I can't do that. I can't band together with a bunch of people and say, hey, all right, now let's, um, you know, let's just give it one good charge and we're going to knock the devil out. Uh, it, just, it just doesn't work. We can't do it. There's only one power that can break the grip of the devil, and that's the power of Christ. And that power is brought to people through the gospel. And so Jesus, of course, he knows that. And that's why he commissions Paul in the way he commissions him. So the purpose of the gospel is ultimately to deliver us from, it's put like this in, in Colossians uh, chapter one, that when we put our faith in Christ, we are translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's own dear son. So that's what happens to us. We are, our, our eyes are open. Have you ever um, had a moment in, in regard to anything where suddenly your eyes are open. Now, you know, we're talking metaphorically here, right? But, you know, you have those moments where just suddenly you see clearly. You Suddenly you know something that's just been blurry maybe at best, or in some ways it's just been completely just, you know, so far away you haven't even been able to, to mentally get near it. But then you just have this moment where it's all clear. And that's what is being described here to open their eyes where a person just suddenly comes to the recognition. And you know what the, the recognition is, it's kind of twofold, but sometimes the first part of the recognition is I'm lost. I'm a sinner. I, I'm evil. I'm bad. I'm in trouble. I need help. I need deliverance. That's, sometimes that's where it all begins. Now, there are other times where maybe suddenly somebody just sudden, suddenly flashes on the reality that, wow, Jesus is the Savior. But even though that, that does happen, I think more often what happens is the illumination is to our condition. I am a sinner, and I, I suddenly begin to look for a solution to my sin problem. I know for me, that's what happened in my life. I, I just had, a, you know, another word you could use as an epiphany. All of a sudden you just realize, man, I'm, I'm really messed up. And 
I can't fix myself. So our eyes are opened. But then when that happens, then, of course, there is, through Christ, there is the bringing out of that darkness into the light. And, and so we come to Christ, and now things are clear. I can see. I'm no longer groping in the darkness that I was once in. But, but now things are clear to me. And, of course, as it follows on, there is the breaking of Satan's power over us. So that's the purpose of, that's the intention of the gospel. But along with that, we have stated here the promise of the gospel. And the promise of the gospel here is twofold. It is, first of all, the forgiveness of sins. And secondly, it is an inheritance among all those who are sanctified through faith in Christ. So this is what the gospel does for us. The gospel brings us forgiveness of sins. Remember, the illumination is I'm a sinner. And because I'm a sinner, not only can I not break free from my sins, myself, but my sins condemn me. My sins put me in a place where I am condemned. I'm under the verdict of God's judgment. Now, some people think, that just doesn't seem fair. You know, why would God want to judge anybody? I mean, after all, you know, I, I'm not that bad of a person. And, you know, so sometimes somebody can maybe get their head around some super evil person in history that has, you know, been responsible for genocide or been responsible for horrific treatments of large numbers of people, mass murder and things like that. You know, sometimes people get their head around a judgment with something like that. But a lot of people struggle with, well, you know, how could God judge me? I, I'm, I'm not that bad. Well, you know, the truth is we're all worse than we think. We, we all tend to think we're not that bad. But you know, we're all in our own little worlds. We're all just little dictators. We're all little tyrants. We're all little selfish people who just are manipulating and wanting to get our own way. And we're, you know, anybody who crosses us and anybody who gets, you know, in the way of what I want to do, you know, we, we've got our ways of dealing with that, you know, slander and gossip and all those things. These are just more sort of individual manifestations of what these other things are. They're just happening on a larger scale. And you think of, I mean, you know, the, the most obvious tyrant in our modern history would be Hitler, right? He's the one that always is the default person when you want to talk about some really evil person. And man, he was really evil, no doubt about it. But you know what? There's a lot of little Hitlers all over the place. And all around Orange County, you know what? They're little Hitlers that uh, they, uh, <laughs> they got their little kingdom in their house. And they're, um, they've got their, you know, their, their people that they're, they are oppressing and things like that. That's a reality. That's, again, we, we underestimate our own sinfulness. And therefore, we think, well, you know, why would God judge? God is a judge. And you know what judges do? They judge according to the law. Any judge 
that circumvents the law, any judge that says, well, yeah, the law says this, but you know, I think this over here, that's not a, a real legitimate judge. That's what you call an activist judge. That's a judge who's going to put their opinion over the law. A good judge, a righteous judge, a true judge is one who sticks with the law and applies the law. And God's a righteous judge and he has a law and that law has been broken and there, there's only one thing that can happen there. The penalty has to be paid for those broken laws. So you see, our sins separate us from God. They burden us. They ruin our lives and the lives of other people, but they put us in this position of, of being under the judgment of God. So what does the gospel do? The gospel brings us forgiveness of sins. So all of those things that I've done, all of those sins I've committed, or another way to look at it, and I think it maybe is helpful sometimes to look at it like this, sins are crimes against God. Now, we all know what it's like to, to commit crimes against society and what happens when you do that, you get punished for it. You get arrested. You go to prison. In some extreme cases, you get the death penalty. And, you know, not everybody agrees with that, but yeah, at least we all get it. But we got to think in those terms with God as well. Sins are crimes against God. And so those crimes, just like any crime, has to be paid for. But to commit crimes against God brings a death sentence. And yet, here's the good news. Through Jesus, there's forgiveness of sin. Those crimes that we have committed are blotted out. And we're no longer responsible to pay the penalty for them because that's what Jesus did on the cross. That's what he was doing. He was paying for our crimes. And so as we receive him, then our crimes are wiped away. They're, they're blotted out is, you know, the Bible uses that picture many times over that our sins are blotted out. So that's the first thing. There's the forgiveness of sins. And then secondly, there is the inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, Jesus is talking to Paul, and you're going to preach to the Gentiles the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance. So the inheritance is, the inheritance is both future, and, but, but it's also entered into presently. So we receive the inheritance the moment we put our faith in Christ, but we don't get the full experience of it until the future. So the full experience of it awaits me in heaven. And Peter, the apostle, he spoke of this inheritance that, that we have reserved for us in heaven, us who are kept by the power of God. It's an inheritance that is incorruptible. It's undefiled. It's never going to fade away. Now, if you inherited a lot of money here on the earth, I mean, you know, that would be great, right? You'd love that, man. You know, you inherited millions of dollars. But you know the truth about that is that it will, um, it will at one point be useless to you. Uh, it can lose its value. It can be stolen. But one day you'll be separated from it and it won't be of any benefit to you at all. The inheritance that we have in Christ is 
It's there reserved in heaven for us. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It'll never fade away. And of course, we're talking about the entrance ultimately into God's eternal kingdom. Uh, Some of us, well, all of us here today, and anybody that can hear me today, we've entered into the inheritance, but we're waiting for the fullness of it to come. Others have gone before us, and they've entered into it. But what we have today is we have a taste of our inheritance. And as we look at the, the bigger picture of Scripture in the New Testament, the, the guarantee of our inheritance is the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given to us. So when you put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes and takes up residence in you, and that is the guarantee of your future inheritance. It's a, it's a little, it's like a down payment. It's like a, a, a little sample. Like, okay, here's a sample, and the rest is, will come in the future. And the ultimate, the best, will come in the future. In, in writing to the church in Ephesus, Paul speaks of the Spirit as being the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And the Greek word that Paul uses for the guarantee there is a word that in Greek means the, an engagement ring. So the Holy Spirit is to us what the engagement ring is to the bride. So what does the engagement ring say? The engagement ring says, you know, I love you, I'm committed to you, and I'm going to marry you, and you're going to be mine. And the Holy Spirit is the engagement ring for us. God gives us the Spirit, and that's his way of saying, you belong to me. You're my bride, and you will be my possession, and you'll enter into the full inheritance of everything that I have in the future. Now, of course, it's a great analogy in one way. Uh, it does break down a little bit because you might be thinking, well, what if, the, what if they take the engagement ring back? Well, that can happen here, but it can't happen. God, God doesn't do that. You know, somebody might give an engagement ring and then later decide, you know, I don't think this was the right decision. No, I don't, I don't want to go through it. God's never going to say to you that have received Jesus, you know, I don't know. I've, I've kind of given a little more thought and I, I don't really want to be in this relationship with you forever. So here, I'm taking the Holy Spirit back. Thank God it doesn't work that way. So the promise is that of forgiveness of sins and of an inheritance. And I want to emphasize again, the inheritance, we begin to experience it now. See, becoming a Christian isn't just that, okay, great, my sins are forgiven, and when I die, I get to go to heaven. Becoming a Christian is my sins are forgiven, and I get to enter into the inheritance now. Not all of it, not the fullness of it, but I begin to experience here now that inheritance in this life. And now let's join Pastor Brian and Cheryl in the studio as they share about this month's resource. So Brian, your friend has written another great book and he's your friend and he's also you're a little bit of a fan. Let's just be honest. I am a big fan of Ray Ortland 
and he has written this fantastic little book on the gospel. But really the gist of it is creating gospel culture within your church. So gospel culture is really, it's a culture of love. It's a culture of grace. It's a culture where anybody can come in and know that they're going to be given an opportunity to hear the good news of of God's love and people are going to be patient and not judgmental and give God time to work. So that's pretty much what he lays in out other in words, this great little book. People are going to be like Jesus. People are going to be like Jesus. As they study Jesus. Yeah. So I highly recommend this little book by my friend Ray Ortland called The Gospel. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Gospel by Ray Ortland. You can order the book, The Gospel, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The Gospel by Ray Ortland, to help you develop a biblical perspective of gospel culture. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Acts. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.